Hello, and welcome back to episode 17 of Z to A, We've Got Issues. Hello, everybody. We're a little bit rough around the edges, or maybe I'm a little bit rough around the edges uh, this week, which you can probably hear in my voice, but we're going we're gonna to soldier, soldier through. Yeah, Xanthi and I uh, went to our college reunions, 25th reunion, uh, and uh, that always takes its toll. It does. A lot of late nights, a lot of talking, a uh-huh. little bit of crazy mm-hmm. late night dancing. Toxins. And some toxins. I think Andrew, yeah. I, I, I enjoy the toxins. <laughs> um, but uh, so we're here once again to, and by the way, a lot of people, a lot of you said, um, hey, I heard you have a podcast, but I haven't listened to it. I heard a few people. But I'm going to listen to it. I heard a few people it. who are listeners. So maybe some of you right now are uh, first time listeners because you're, you're, um, it's your obligation, having made that statement, that you will one day listen. Yes, exactly. Um, We're counting on you. But uh, but also, I was surprised at how many people actually have listened. So yeah, it was very, lovely. Very nice. So um, the thing that we often do on this show, actually, it's what put us on the map, made us famous, is uh, not my tribe. Our NPR style quiz game, in which we ask each other questions from the other side of the political aisle and see if we're paying attention. And uh, Xanthi. Yes. You this week are going to represent the liberal side. Of I the am. Political as, equation. as I'm consistent. In fact, way. you often do. You're a little bit more of a shapeshifter. I, than I am. I, I am. Uh, so why don't you start? Us sure. Um, all right. So my first question is: um, There's a story in the news this week about a um, Obama-era policy, um, this time having to do with the Treasury Department, that our current administration is, if not outright reneging on, they are um, stalling on implementing. Interesting. So, um, Treasury Department, taxation? Are we talking about tax? Nope. Okay. Uh, see, I always, I always get the Treasury, because I feel like the Treasury is in a, into a lot of things that you wouldn't think that they would be this into. This is pretty much their wheelhouse. Their wheelhouse? Yeah. Uh, God, I should know something about this. Um, so well, is it, let's backtrack a little. There, okay. was a, there was an Obama-era policy, mm-hmm. um, which the Treasury Department stated, yeah. um, that made... Um, liberals ecstatically happy. Okay. Um, and this is the one that uh, the current uh, Manu- they got Manukin it. and his minions are um, pulling back on. Right. Uh, maybe it has something to do with a. Uh, no, it's not going to be like mortgage interest, something like that. It's, it's going to be so something. much more interesting. It's going to be something. Okay, I'm going to. Oh, yeah. This is a rare occasion where Andrew cannot yeah. guess his way into the right answer. So you may recall, perhaps, that um, there was a plan afoot to put Harriet Tubman, oh, yeah. the famed segregationist, uh, anti-segregationist, yes. excuse me, on the 10 uh, and then it was the 20. activist, yeah. on the $20 bill, replacing, first was the 10. replacing Andrew Jackson. Actually, it was first the 10, yes, and, then and then Hamilton, Hamilton came out, exactly. and everyone's like, oh, I guess Hamilton was pretty cool after all. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, well, a 20. And Manuel Miranda saved yeah. Alexander Hamilton from being replaced. Right, and you will be thoroughly unsurprised to know that um, that plan is now in limbo. Uh-huh. And it is not looking like it's going to happen. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I, I'm not saying that Andrew Jackson, I, you know. And weirdly, Andrew Jackson is one of um, our current president's favorites. Well, he was kind of the people's president. Like he was the sort was of a, first populist. He was a nativist, a nativist um, yeah. populist. And yeah, and he was a populist president. And they had, you know, he invited everybody into the White House and they kind of destroyed the place. Do you remember all of that? Yeah, <laughs> no, like, so I didn't know that. He was like the first... Kind of frat boy, president. yeah, guy, guy, <laughs> king. They called him King Mob. 
Um, because really? yeah, because he was everybody thought he was a demagogue and uh, he was a war hero, and so um, I get that. I get why Andrew Jackson is a controversial choice for the twenty, but um, yeah. So poor Harriet Tubman getting shafted um, by yeah. I don't know. It's I, symbolic. I guess. You're yeah, into, I do. You I don't do get think, the power of symbolism. I have a feeling we should talk about the power of symbolism. Yes, I, I do we will. get the power of symbolism, and. And I think actually currency is a good place. It's actually something I've been thinking about. Okay, so, let's, so we'll get to that. We'll later. move on to that. But I, anyway, you stopped. You stumped me on, this, on the Tubman. Um, do you think a lot of people are upset by that, or not really? I mean, I think there's so many bigger things to be upset about. But I do think it's indicative that every single thing that Obama tried to do, from the large to the small, is under attack. Yeah. Um, Okay. And I do think it's symbolic. I mean, we use that money every single day, it, it right? Is, so it is to, a symbol. To see a no, it would black be, woman it is, on some currency might be a very powerful thing. You're getting really to the heart of I think we're of our later conversation. Okay, so good. stay tuned if we can ever get through Not My Tribe. So <laughs> not so here's my question for you, Not My Tribe. Who yes. has authority, according to the Constitution, to regulate trade? The president. That is incorrect. <laughs> To regulate trade. Um, Congress. That is correct. Okay. Congress has the right to regulate trade. It's a, in Article One of the Constitution, which is why it's so interesting right I'm now. I'm not a constitutional that, scholar. That right now, um, you know, Trump, is Trump is it. saying, I'm going to unroll all these tariffs and whatever. So I guess what happened is in the 20th century, there were all of these, you know, you had the Smoot-Hawley Act and you had all these different trade acts where they started giving more and more power to the um, to the president, to the executive and, branch, and so who, what major publication this morning, uh, editorial board? Ah. This is the second part saying is saying, hey, we've got to take away this power from the president. I don't know the Wall Street Journal. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually have to say, I jumped in and said the president because I, in my head, the question I thought you were going to ask me is who has a, who has authority on trade according to the president? Yeah. <laughs> so no. I actually wasn't really listening. It, well, I think it's very interesting, right? Because, you know, Congress is supposed to have the right to declare war. Congress is supposed to have the right to regulate trade. And all of these things have essentially been started Swept to be subsumed by the, the executive yes, branch. Yes. And now everyone's saying like, well, did we mean to do that? And, and it's sort of, I think it comes down to which do you think is a more dysfunctional organization? Right. And usually... People think Congress is a more dysfunctional organization right. than the executive branch, and because because Congress is always deadlocked, and because the president usually is somebody from the middle. Yes. And no, uh, that hasn't happened. So yeah. I mean, there's nothing like an incompetent, erratic, unpredictable, know nothing president uh -huh. to really galvanize people's concerns about. Um, the overreaching authority of the executive yeah. branch. Although a lot of people had that concern about Obama, right? Um, which seems except ironic he, in except, retrospect. Well, he was just because he did. He there were a lot of things he didn't do well, because he was worried about um, Congress's reaction. But also, Obama <laughs> did a lot of things. And, you know, probably most um, well, all his executive like actions. Obamacare, are right, was something that he really kind of pushed through. Right. I think because he felt himself. that he had no other choice. He felt he had no other choice. But what you realized was the weakness of that kind of executive action. Yes. Where then the next guy can just unroll reverse it. it, reverse and, it. Uh, but there were and, other things like so I think uh, that, on Syria, for example. I've recently been watching the documentary about him on Syria. He um, part of his big hesitation in inter intervening more was that he felt that he did not have the authority without Congress to do that. 
So do you think, so with good documentary that you've been watching the final year? On HBO. It's, it, it's devastating to it's watch. It's devastating to, from a liberal or from an it's American? It's devastating, I think, from the point of view of anyone who values competence, because it focuses on mostly foreign policy and for kind of Obama aides in particular, mm-hmm. who are just so clearly, like, whatever you think of their points of view, they're so clearly highly intelligent, highly competent, idealistic people. Um, and, and watching them kind of interact with other people around the world and seeing how other people react to them and to Obama, it's very hard to watch it knowing what has come since then. Although I would say that if you think about like the Vietnam era where you had McNamara and you had these like people who were like the brightest people in the room. Oh, they totally screwed get, up as when well. You get, when you get these kind of <clears throat> folks who are like, one, they're super liberal, super elite and, it's, and very intelligent and they kind of think they know best, they can get themselves into real trouble. I don't know if that was true about the Obama the end of the Obama years. Certainly not what they focus on in the documentary. Yeah. They focus on, you know, the Paris Accord, the Iran deal, yeah. Cuba, All right, well, I gotta normalization watch it. with Cuba. Yeah, um, hi- highly recommend. Um, I definitely will. Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to, uh, do I give you half a point for that? No, I think I get zero. Zero. Okay, go ahead. Your turn. All right. All I did get Wall Street Journal. Yes. Um, which makes perfect sense. Uh, okay, so um, this is a fun one, I think. Oh, good. Um, I have a fun What one country second. recently tweeted... Um, <laughs> Countries tweet now. That's yes! crazy. A scene from the movie Mean Girls. Okay. And why? Well, I'm sure it was a comment on Donald Trump. Nope. No. Uh, a scene from the movie Mean Girls, which is a very fine uh, movie. It's, a, it's a, what I think they now call a classic. It is. Well, <laughs> Tina Fey is very talented. Um, and so uh, maybe... Can you tell me the scene, and then I'll tell you who the country is? Sure. It's a little um, gif. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. With a, with a, mean, a hard, with a hard yeah, G. Yeah. Um, of uh, Regina St. George, who is the head, the of the, yeah. head of the Mean Girls. Yeah. The plastics, I guess. Yes. Um, okay. It's a little tweet of her, a uh, picture of her going, why are you so obsessed with me? Um, that's great. Um, why are you so obsessed with me? And it's not about Trump. So... Um, in fact, it doesn't involve America at all. But it was a country talking about that, saying like, so some country is saying, why are you guys always paying? Oh, Norway. Oh, you're so cl- You're on the right track, but the wrong part of the world. Oh, it's something that, that Trump keeps talking about, that everyone's like, why do you keep talking about <laughs> No, it has us? nothing to do with America. Oh, why are you so obsessed with me? Um, but I'm on the right track. So Which it's countries are obsessed with each other? Uh, good question. Um, I think that... In fact, there is one country in the world, I would argue, that, that other than America, that, that many countries are obsessed with. North Korea. No. Right track, right track. So something, Iran. Iran. You're in the right field. So, right, yeah, so, gonna, so, gonna, so, so a country that basically is... Um, the like, focus why do of we, many why people's do we always, ire why, and, why do we always talk about this country when um, Well, no, it's everyone not knows why we talk about it. Okay. All right, it's Israel. Oh, Israel. Okay, yeah, that's so, funny. so recently the religious leader of Iran yeah. um, gave a very hateful anti-Semitic speech talking yeah. about how their goal is and always will be to destroy the state of Israel. And Israel's response to the, to the to speech tweet, why was to tweet this little gif of Regina St. George going, why are you so obsessed with me? It's a good point. I think it's a good point. <laughs> I've always thought about Israel. I've always thought about Israel, which is to say like, if we just got the religious out of it, like they're no. fighting over a postage stamp of land, and 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 that well, talk what, about symbolism. I mean, I just feel like we could, you could take all these people who are in Gaza, all the Palestinians, and like 
give them some land in like in Alaska or in somewhere nice um, where they'd have a they're not they're in prison right now. It's interesting to me that you picked Alaska as a as a, as a replacement a place where we for got, Palestine or I don't know anywhere. Um, and yeah, it's not so simple, Andrew. There have been many so movements in history to to repatriate people from one place to another. I just feel like Gaza, be where the folks in be. Gaza are so stuck and it's such a, well, yes. like the PLO or the Palestinians are in like this just horrible <laughs> space where they don't have access to, No, I mean, I I think, mean they're basically yes. in prison and you know, and everybody's like, oh, well the answer is going to be to kind of like figure out some kind of a deal and you're like, or maybe the answer is to like say, they're like, not going anywhere. Like we got to find it, but a better. Nah, you're up. You're I mean, right. Israel's a little you're bit not, out of our. Out I'm not. Of our you know what? I think it's worthwhile to say that we're probably not going to solve the Israel Palestinian I mean, conflict know, on our setting our sights high. I feel like we should try. But, yeah. Well, Trump obviously <laughs> feels like he can. Jared Kushner's got like, it all we, under you control. You and I, we are no Jared Kushner. I think no. that's the thing. So we probably it's above our pay grade. All right. So anyway, I thought you would like. But that, that is a good like one. that question. But it. Yeah. I think what it's more interesting to me is what does it say about the state of international diplomacy. That you this is the response from a country yeah. to another country. You know, it is. It is. It and is. also, it's so flippant. It's funny, but it's so flippant. Right. And so, um, but then I'm like, well, but maybe it's better. Like, time. maybe it's better to tweet a, a meme from Mean Girls than to, like, you know, send some um, Scud missiles. It's pithy. Yeah. Right? No one dies. You just, like, you're snarky. Yeah. You should replace bombs with snark. Well, it, you know, that's been Trump's. You know that approach with the whole Rocket Man thing. I think oh, arguably was kind of effective, and I wouldn't be surprised if Israel and it, and like now it's just like, hey, this Trump thing is kind of working. Like to just kind of be, well, it's working for them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but okay. I think of course they feel ennobled to do it because they feel like they've got the back. Just makes of- me sad. I value adult level interactions, yeah. and I, it bothers me that this is what's what's happening. Anyway, okay, next question. Your turn. Uh, that's a good one. I'm glad you brought that up. So this isn't one that was about a week and a half ago, and but I loved it because I just had to, I just kind of wrapped my head around it. I hope I can still remember something. Uh, a week and well, this a half was a kind of a well, it was a news story. So there was a man who was kicked out of his parents' basement. Okay. Did you hear about that? Nope. And so he sued his parents, mm-hmm. saying it was unfair for them to kick him out of the basement without giving him six months' notice, and. Uh, and of course, everybody had a lot of fun with this guy because he was sort of such a kind of a loser. And, um, <laughs> Not to sugarcoat it. And right, because he sued his own parents. Uh, and then, so they asked him. They, you know, they talked about him being millennial. And he said, "I can't be. I'm not a millennial because I am X. What is X?" Well, not Gen X. No, he said, I, yeah, I'm not. He okay. was millennial. He was 30 years old. But he said, I'm not. I don't he didn't consider, feel qualified I don't to, see, be, to identify myself, himself I'm as a millennial, millennial because I'm what? Um, a Republican. It's, it's basically right. Yeah. He said, because I'm conservative. What? Which I think. And then oh he, they asked God. him to explain it. He's like, well, because like I think of millennials as very entitled and liberal and these things. But I'm conservative. That's interesting. That's actually interesting. And, uh, so I thought that was interesting in a number of different ways. Um, That's so strange, though. That's like saying, like, I'm not born in the 60s. Right. You can't say I was born in the 60s right. because I'm not a hippie. Right. Very right. weird. Oh yeah, the gosh. whole thing was strange. And the whole guy was very strange. But um, but I kind of liked that story because it... it um, and, of course, the media loved it because they're, like, saying, like, hey, look at these conservatives. Like, they're just as entitled as the liberal, right? 
So it was, it was a, uh, it was a, I mean, talk about one. the, the uh, definition of entitlement is suing your parents because they're kicking you out of your house. <laughs> yes. Oh God. I hope um, that doesn't happen to either of us ever. Uh, I mean, not with our parents, yeah, I mean, with back. our children. Yeah. Well, that was a kind of, well, a lot of, a lot of, uh, children now come back after uh, college, after college and live with their parents. Did you ever live at home after college? I didn't. No, um, me neither. But, um, it wasn't because I was supporting myself. Uh, so <laughs> I guess neither. It took a while. Me neither. It took, I was it took a while until I could support myself. So, but um, I would have. I would have felt if I moved back into my parents' house after college, I would have felt that something had gone terribly wrong. Yeah, you feel infantilized. Totally, like, it would have been a disaster. Right. And my parents would have stayed up late and waited for me to come home. Yeah, <laughs> because that's how they are. Um, All well, right. I went off to grad school. So anyway, go ahead. Uh, your turn. I have one more. Um, this is a local story for more. me. I have one more. Um, this is a local story for me, which is about um, a restaurant slash, I think, beer hall in Brooklyn. Okay. That recently lost... <laughs> I think you can throw artisanal in there. Yeah, just because it it's from Brooklyn. I think it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, that recently suffered a major loss of um, patrons. This isn't Jonathan Butler's they thing, fled, is it? No, They fled, no. He has one. He, they literally were like one night... They were full. It was a very popular place. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, people were practically like stampeding for the exits. Yes. And I'm wondering if you read about this story. Vermin? And if you know what happened. Wasn't Vermin? No, this is no, because um, no. This is politics. Yes. They, they liked something that all of a sudden that was anathema to the Brooklyn residents. Um, so they supported something. And... It, it's funny how we're in this world now where like you can just say one thing like I think with the Roseanne thing too which we'll talk about but like how like you can just say one thing and then you're like oh yes. great your career's this over is why this, this is why this question interested me your career's over so they were pro-life no they were what are the other like things that you well I'm going to tell you but I'm going to give you I'm going to give you the semi-homophobic point. I'm going to give you the point because you're absolutely on the right track yeah um, apparently it's a place called Mecklenburg's, which I've never been to oh, I've heard I of think that. I'll now have to go well we should go together it's a Jewish deli yeah no no it's a beer hall it's a beer hall yeah <laughs> uh, sounds like a Jewish it deli. Does, it does, but also like a Jewish deli. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they serve, uh, yeah, knishes kinish, while they're right. giving you the, your beer. It sounds like Woody Allen. Would, um, and that. no, and apparently the the sister of one of the owners, um, it's owned by a couple, and his sister has a um, very anti-Islamic oh. online presence. And okay. I can't remember if it's through, I think it's tweets and or other posts. Yes. Um, where she says really terrible things right. about Islam and Muslims. Yes. And somebody, some reporter Found it. made the connection between her and this place and they share the last same last name. Right. And all Not of a Mecklenburg, sudden. But Mecklenburg. Mecklenburg. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden. Um, they dug it up. He published an article about it and it went online and people were literally like could not leave the restaurant fast enough. And... Um, the owners have now received um, death threats. Their addresses have been, they've been doxxed. Their addresses have been published. And it's so not even has, him, it's And so has she, right? Yeah. So both sides, basically like a reporter kind of doxxed her, um, the anti-Islamic sister. And then in, as, a, as a revenge tactic, her supporters then doxxed him. Um, and the reporter has received death threats. So all around, to me, this was a story that kind of did encapsulate what you were saying, which is we live in a world where not only are tempers and passions so inflamed, but the tools to ruin somebody are way too close at hand. 
Um, and there's this mob mentality of wanting to destroy people rather than engage in discussion and um, compromise and understanding. Yes, yeah. And I also think that there's no, now there's like, and we're going to talk about this in terms of the P-rate thing that we talked about, but I think there's no, there's no free, there's no cheap wins. So you, sometimes we, we think that we are going to like, hey, score a quick point mm. for our side by doing something like, oh, look what we have here. We're going to boycott this. Mm -hmm. And everything that you do, I think, today has an equal and opposite reaction. And you have to be very careful about what you do. Mm -hmm. And so when you say, okay, we're going to go boycott these folks because this person has a, sis has a sister who has these views that I don't like, yeah. you got to say... Well, does that mean that this place has those views, or is that is that fair? And people say, no, we don't really care if it's fair or not because that those are views we don't like. So we're going to do this action. And they have the same last name. <laughs> and and uh, so I think that's 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 a terribly unfair and unthought out way of yes. of of combating Islamophobia. I mean, isn't it? I think it's the technical definition of reactionary, right? Right, <laughs> and and probably right. And and at the same time, what I think you're going to learn, what we're going to learn, is that you don't. Even when you think, oh, well, the ends justify the means, the other side also has the same tools at hand. Yes. And they're going to come right back. Yes. And so we need to be more thoughtful. Well, I mean, so, I think on a large scale, that's what we saw play out in the presidential campaign and what we're seeing exactly. play out and every Except with day. a nuance, which I want to talk about, because I think actually the right and the left have so slightly asymmetrical. So it's, it's, it's asymmetrical type of warfare that goes yeah. on. Um, but it has a lot of victims and a lot of unintended uh, victims, and it doesn't and it doesn't advance us towards any better future. I, think I would argue. I think that's a terrible result for Mecklenburgs and for. I know, agree. We should I, go. Let's go patronize them. Everybody go. go patronize everybody go so patronize party them. at Mecklenburgs. We're gonna have a party there. <laughs> I like how this is. I like that. That's uh, yeah. That's how it's shaping up. All right. Uh, so here's my last one. Okay. Uh, and this is just one. I'm just curious if it came across your radar because it was the number one story on Breitbart. Mm. Um, Yesterday, there were criminal charges against Senate Intelligence Committee Director uh, Security, yes. James Wolfe, for what? For lying about talking to reporters. Exactly. And who was there? Do you know a little, a little bit more she about She was it? the New York Times reporter whose records were seized in an unprecedented move by the Justice Department and, several months ago. And what was their relationship? That I don't know. They had a romantic relationship. Oh, no. Yeah. So That's they actually, one. he was, which I think is like... I guess they were, that's how they found out, because they were actually dating, hmm. and he was leaking the information, which hmm. to me seems so... What was his position exactly? Creepy. He was the longtime Senate Intelligence Committee Director of Security, so, and he was leaking So who did he work for? His girlfriend. He worked for the Justice Department? I, I assumed he worked for, like... Um, or does he work for Congress? Session, does, I don't know. Huh, okay. I guess he works for for Senate, right? So, so, the, significance, so the significance of the story, from my perspective, yeah. was that this is, you know, they, the the administration keeps saying that they're going to crack down on leaks yeah. and on leakers, um, and we know perfectly well that there are major leakers in there, like Kellyanne yeah. Conway, yeah, everybody in the Steve Bannon, um, but but they've come down on this guy and. They, it also seems in a way like a little bit of an attack on the media, right? Because they seized the Right, well, the facts are, the facts are really bad reporter. in the sense that, like, you know, like when you're leaking to the person you're sleeping with, that looks to, like... But even if they weren't sleeping together, they would have, they would have gotten him, right? Yeah, but it makes it look worse. Huh. It makes it, to me, look, look like a honey trap. Like, like you, <laughs> right? 
It does. Except we don't know what their real relationship was. We don't know that she was sleeping with him in order to extract information. I mean, when you're sleeping with somebody, you share information with them. But that's certainly what you would... um, It's so funny. That did not cross my mind. Really? No, really. It totally crosses my mind. Which is to say, like... Interesting. Like that reporter in that House of Cards, the Mara, what's her name? <laughs> like she starts sleeping with Frank Underwood or whatever, right. so that she Does can get she? I couldn't get past the first episode. I don't know, the redhead girl. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't really watch that much of that either. But I remember that she was the reporter. And now we don't have to watch the rest of it because Kevin Spacey got Yeah, because he's a bad guy. So we don't have to be on top of it anymore. Woohoo! There were a few side benefits to the destruction of people's careers. But I do think, do you think that leaking is such a weird thing, right? Because you want leaking to happen if there's unjust things happening. On the other hand, you don't want leaking to happen. It's like, what's the difference between leaking and whistleblowing? It's very much, and you know, like Valerie Plame, like on that I was like, oh, like they blew her cover. That's terrible. Scooter Libby should should suffer for that. But at the same time... Just for a short time until he gets pardoned, though. Yeah, but then then you have uh, the other guy um, who is living in Russia. Um, what's his name? The hacker, the guy who stole all the documents. Oh, yeah. Uh, Edward yeah. Snowden. Yes. And um, he's... You know, and so there's this broad spectrum of people, and I just don't even know what we're supposed to think anymore about right. leaking. Is leaking a bad thing? Is it a good thing? This is just like old fat. This is an interesting story, also because it's old fashioned leaking, which is like leaking to the print media. Yeah, <laughs> it's not With stealing. Sex. It's not stealing. Yeah, it's so old fashioned. Yeah, it even involves sex. Yeah, good old fashioned. So actually, it's a little bit of a heartwarming story. Yeah, it is. It just kind of brings you back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. See, I told you we'd spend 25 minutes on that one. That's good. I like so, it. Um, so let's talk about, um, oh, you wanted to do the intro of this next story. Well, I, you know, we were, Andrew and I have been having a kind of, I think, an interesting discussion in the wake of our 25th college reunion. Um, and I think that this is a topic that will interest people, even people who, you know, are not <laughs> part of our immediate cohort. Yeah. Um, and not that any of you aren't. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Uh, even those of you who did not just celebrate your 25th reunion at Princeton, um, because Princeton has this funny tradition called the P-Raid, which mm-hmm. you may have heard Andrew mention earlier and wondered yeah. why he couldn't pronounce the word parade, because um, we know that sometimes you do have some pronunciation issues, but usually yeah. it's with um, names. Yeah. Um, but there is an actual thing called P-Raids, Princeton Raid, um, where uh, alumni march down the center of campus. It's a long-standing tradition. They go more or less chronologically. starts with a... Um, oldest people and the 25th reunion class uh, and it's kind of a fabulous weird tradition self-congratulatory it has pros and <laughs> it has some lovely things and then some questionable things maybe um, but what Andrew and I were talking about is that our class this year hired a um, marching band called the Gay and Lesbian Big Apple Corps um, they are a gay um, out and proud marching band from New York City who are very well known um, to lead the uh, our part of this parade, right? Um, and uh, anyway, so we'll start there. And you you posed me a question about it, right? Well, so the funny thing was, so first I had this great idea, like, what if we did one of those New York Times style back and forth like uh, written conversations, like Gail Collins? And so we started doing that. And Brett Stevens. And Brett Stevens. And then I realized, well, like if I'm going to take the position, uh, with you know, and then one of the conversations was around this this gay and lesbian um, band. And, and then as I started writing, we started writing back and forth. And then I was like, do I really want to have a written conversation in which I'm on the side of like thinking, well, hey, maybe is this such a good idea? And then 
And then I got less and less excited about doing this thing. No, but you raised a really interesting point, actually. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. you made me think about it. Because my thought, and I was involved in the decision to hire this band, um, my thought initially was like, this is great. You know, a strike for tolerance and inclusion. Right. And, um, you know, Princeton is traditionally has been quite a conservative place. Uh, didn't let women in until 1971. I would argue not in the recent history, but yeah. No, but traditionally it not was Not since we were there. It was not conservative. I don't know. When I applied to colleges, I still thought of it as quite a conservative It was conservative place. compared to Brown and Kenyon, but or it was Yale, not conservative or Yale compared or to UT. Fine. In its, in its sphere, it was, it's, it's been traditionally considered quite conservative. Um, and, you know, I thought, well, this will be a nice change from, you know, yeah. 26 years ago, 25 years ago when we were at Princeton, when right. most of the gay people we knew were closeted. Very few people were openly right. out. Um, and, um, you know, what what a fun thing to be able to hire this band kind of to represent the changes that have happened um, yeah. since we graduated. And the point that you raised was, is two points. One is, a, is this a place for politics? Like, and also... How would I have felt if there was a, mar you know, the whole idea of a gay and lesbian marching band and how would I have felt if they hired, for example, like an evangelical Christian right. would, musical group? I'm trying to imagine what they would sound they like. They have but, bands. Okay. They definitely do. <laughs> uh, you know, we could hire the, you know, the Liberty University uh, players and actually the Oral, heard, the Oral Roberts I heard, marching you know, band. Or a Christian rock band or something. And, right. And, um, I actually have heard they're pretty good, the Liberty University rock band. <laughs> okay. I, I was so you made me think, and of course my initial reaction was like, no, I would have been completely against that. Um, Which surprised but, me. But actually. then the question is why, right? And, and you called me a little bit on my reflexive liberal reaction. Yeah. Um, but it made me think about it. Yeah. So I did think about it. Well, here's my, my take on it. Cause, so I thought it was actually an interesting and complicated question, right? And, and what I, one of the things that I realized is that when I was sitting there and I actually had to write an argument about this, I was like, this is actually going to be very difficult to write a real valid point um, and not come across like I have some homophobic like Agenda. bone right. to, to, to uh, fight over, to pick at here. And I think this is actually, and actually it also reminded me, I, there was a guy um, who uh, in, in my own personal experience had protested this gay couple coming to our school, right? And had written a letter. And it was also like a super well-written letter. Your children's school. My children's school. And I couldn't be more against that. And and then, in despite that, he wrote this like really well thought out, like real, like, you know, nice letter with making coherent, cogent arguments. And yet I knew that behind all that was coming from just basically a place of hate and homophobia. Oh my God, I would love to read that letter. Would, um, and so... I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. I definitely don't want to be the guy who's who's feeling this is, you know, yeah, the yeah, wrong. Yeah. And so, well, I think we can I, agree that your your thoughts about yeah. this were from a kind of rhetorical, rhetorical. you know, perspective. So, like, so, but I realize how hard that is to do, especially in the written word, and to come across like, no, I'm actually coming from this from an actual like place of inquiry. And I think that if you had a problem with this, it it would be just as you said that. Um, hey, what is the, there are no, I feel like there are no cheap wins, right? There's no like, hey, let's strike a blow and like not expect that somebody else is gonna say, we see what you're doing there mm -hmm. and we're gonna strike a blow for the other side. And so, so then I get to ask the question, 
quite, you know, so I think the, if you do that, you have to prepare for like the class of 1950 to be like higher mile Yiannopoulos to be coming down in a one man band suit, you know, playing his right. instruments, coming down and making P Raid like suddenly a battle of, a a battle battle of ide ideologies. Right. And it will, then there is going to be a committee on what bands are appropriate and like, you know, and what, it, you know, right. and so you've opened the door here unless, unless you can make an argument. And is, is this the argument I actually made? I don't think it was, oh, but right. it's the argument. I do, I, I do have an argument. This would be the argument, argument I would make. Okay. I would argue that if you could say, well, you know what, the gay and lesbian band, and I sort of think of this in kind of the will and grace uh, department, mm. which is to say, I think the re reason I really liked will and grace and how that was a very effective way of changing the dialogue um, around gay and lesbian issues was because. It was a great piece of content that stood up on its own and was entertaining and mm -hmm. and and rich and yet also in Modern Family I think it's the same way and yet also opened people's eyes to something else and yeah. so it wasn't it wasn't something that was created to be a political statement it was created to be content but that also and people loved the content right but then it also um, uh, you know eventually sort of changed people's minds and I think that's the way to do it and so I would say if the gay and lesbian band for some reason shows uh, you know has they're playing things that are within a certain tradition if the actual message they were sending with their if music the content, or if they were giving speeches or if they were handing out pamphlets right that would be different from playing great music which well, is what they did not only playing great music but I think actually to justify being a gay and lesbian band and playing great music there has to be something there that says hey but by dint of us being gay and lesbians and coming together and creating this music we're able to create something that you haven't heard before yeah and that's what I'd want right like just like you might have a Scottish band or an African-American band <laughs> and sure. they're saying like hey when we come together and we do these things as our identity we create something better and new and different or not even better, but just different yeah. and valid as a form of entertainment and like, mm -hmm. and that, and so, and I, what I didn't, I didn't actually hear the band, so yeah, I don't know. because they were before us. So, so was, I, yeah. but like, if that was true, then I would say that validates them. Just as I would say if, you know, we have the religious band and they do something that you would right. never hear before, but like would be great because right. they're Trappist monks or something mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. and they do these great you know, chance harmonies, right? chance, right? You could see that. <laughs> exactly. Um, All right. So then it's valid. Okay. So to me, yes, what was interesting about this was thinking about the whole idea of identity politics. Mm -hmm. Okay. So your initial thing was like, is P-Raid the place um, or a parade like this, a place to be making political statements? So first of all, you could argue that back and forth. And I did a little bit with you. And I said, you know, that uh, I would say that, you know, the fact that this group of people for years and years and years and still for the early part of the parade is um all white straight identifying men like yeah, that is that political bit, but right? that is but it's the point like that is that was political it just wasn't it, it wasn't seen as political yeah. because you were part of that group but if you were a black person or an asian person or a gay person or a woman literally standing on the sidelines you were not included in that group. And to me, that is, in a way, in the very broadest sense, political. So it makes this parade political by dint of just its existence. So that's one point. And can I, can I respond to that? Quickly, I think yeah. there's a validity to that because when we were talking about currency earlier in Harry yes. Tubman, on each one of those dollar bills, there's something that says, in God we trust, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, I think, 
in a way, a political message, which is to say we're a religious, we're saying we're a religious country and that we believe in God on our money. Right. And, and so I can see you saying, okay, for example, should we put Harry and Tubman on the $20 bill? Well, we put God on the $20 bill. So um, maybe there is something that's just like, there's a political message. I, I think it's semi-political. Well, currency in itself, again, is political because of the symbolism. It's something that represents the country. It's something that we all handle every day. Um, so I think there's some validity. Okay, I interesting. Think I, can see, I can see your point, which is to say that there are, these things are already containers for meaning. They are, and exactly. So, That's a good way to put it. Um, and containers for politics. <laughs> and so to say that you're injecting new politics into it yes. is... But is also, an, and also when you're looking at a place like Princeton, right, which, which has, you know, is an elite institution and has sent many, many people into various positions of power around the world, it does make this silly little parade and this funny reunions thing that we're part of have larger meaning because it's it is a bit of a microcosm, right? You have these people marching, literally marching across campus, and there are people who get to march, and there are people who do not get to march. Right? <laughs> they didn't go to the school. They and, get to march. Well, if you didn't go there, but that's yeah, you know, yeah. or if you weren't allowed to go there for some reason. I see. Okay. Um, you know, and when we, even when we were there, fine, there were women, there were people of color. Right. When we were there, being gay was very, being out and gay was very difficult and not, those people did not feel included. Now there's um, a counter argument to what we're now talking about. Okay. Did you want to make your second point first? Just really quickly about identity politics. Thank yeah. you. Um, which is the idea of a gay and lesbian marching band in and of itself. I started thinking like, well, does that have to be a political statement? Or is it just about culture and identity? Mm. And I thought, you know, you have a bunch of um, Scottish Americans who come together to play right. bagpipes and wear kilts. Right. Is that political? Or is that just culture and identity? And yeah. I would argue I think we're saying the same thing on that. Right? But nobody wants to exclude or marginalize Scottish Americans. So it doesn't feel political for a bunch of bab bagpipers to walk down the street playing together. Whereas if you have... Um, a group of gay and lesbian people who have been excluded and marginalized and oppressed for so many, so many years, um, just the act of their coming together and forming this band is a political statement. But I would argue it's not because they want it to be political necessarily. It's because of the circumstances under which they exist, right? And, and then I really started thinking about the whole idea of identity politics. I'm like, who called it identity politics? Not necessarily the large group of you know oppressed people who just want to be seen and heard and be able to play music and march in a stupid parade, um, it's the people who don't want them to do those things. All right, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think where I agree with you is that if there is a culture, what do you call it, a culture and identity associated with the gay and lesbian Which band, there definitely that then, is. And I think, of course there is. Um, and then that evidences itself. It, I think that was my point too, that mm -hmm. like, then I think that's very validated. Yeah. If it is, in fact, a way to score a political point, um, it's and, probably both. Is the truth and, and is so the, the truthful part, answer? So I think that when you're trying to score political, and it, as long as it's enough of one, then I'm okay with it. But if if it really was like, oh, we're going to do this so that we can score political points and like and make Princeton a more inclusive place, and right. we think this is a great leap forward, I would say be prepared for the other side to say, we want to do the same. Right. And also, when that starts to happen, you know, and you were sort of talking about like, well, you know, there's all these containers of meaning and maybe the P-Rate is a container of meaning. But as soon as you make it, you've ruined the P-Rate. And, <laughs> and that's what you have to realize. It's like, yes, yes fairness, 
is one objection, one objective and equality and whatever. But also, we also have to just say like, hey, we care about some of our institutions too. And we don't want everything, I think, to become a battleground. And I think um, when I look at, for example, the cake shop case, Ugh. and uh, but I, I look at that. It was seven two. It wasn't like I know. It wasn't a split I know. court. I know. And but I, I look at that case, and I see at least part of it was that they, the court felt like that that the 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 gay couple that went and went to the baker and was looking so that that right. he came from a place of like the, the baker came from a place of sincere belief, faith, right? Faith and belief. And which, that, and that the couple who were who were looking for it, who actually Michigan. got married in Massachusetts, yeah. and were looking, that they were coming at it from a place of activism. Well, certainly the liberal judges who voted yeah. in favor were of the Baker. They seem to have said it was actually the commission in Colorado that represented this couple, or that that levied the fine, right, on the Baker. Yeah. Um, this sounds, so, sounds so biblical. It's yeah. so funny. The Baker, the, baker, the fine uh, was levied exactly. upon the Baker. Three kopecks exactly. and a bushel of wheat. <laughs> <laughs> but they did feel that they were being too political, yeah. really, and that that they that it was were that intent. they were infringing on his political and, rights. And so, I mean, and, religious rights. And to me, that was what was underlying that judicial decision. Obviously, it's always couched there, but I think there was this idea of, hey, if you're going out there looking for cases to, to you know, and you're going to try to have weddings and pizza places and all these kinds of things that, mm -hmm. that people are doing, um, you know, you're essentially, like, we're not, we're not gonna try to make that, that those aren't the values that we hold. We do so. I know, but the truth is that's such a disingenuous argument because but you I know, think civil rights would never have advanced if people, civil rights for black Americans would never have advanced if there weren't those people who were willing to go and sit in at that Woolworths counter, who were willing to get involved different. in the political cases. But How? I think it's different because I think the people who are sitting in at the Woolworths counter, there was a sense that like those, and they're I mean, not sense, they were legitimately aggrieved. They were being told to sit in the backs of buses. They were being told they couldn't go and eat at a diner, whereas these two, this couple really wasn't. Like they, he offered them a cake off the shelf. He, uh, mm. you know, he, they could have gone to a, any other baker, right. but they were really like, no, 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 you have to do this because. Yes, because I think they saw themselves, but this has been the case with every, so they, with every case that's had to do with civil rights, whether it's for gay people or right. whatever, uh, minorities. Um, I, and I think, this was clearly an imperfect case and not handled maybe in the best Which is, possible I think, way. Why the Supreme Court but I that but way. I don't agree that you can't go out looking to make the political point. I think those people are the avant-garde who actually make change happen. You have to, you you can go out looking for the political point, but there has to be, I think, a legitimate grievance behind it right. that, by the way, over <laughs> outweighs the other person's legitimate. Right. right, and in this case, obviously it, that didn't, it didn't it didn't work. And um, well, look, you could have argued, you know, black people in the fifties could go eat at a black restaurant. They could drink from a black water. I mean, that's separate but equal, right? But like, I don't think that in that case, that that weighing that we just talked about was anyway equal. Like, I think that when people, you know, were presented with that idea, uh, people said, "No, that's ridiculous." Right. Like, the, well, I will just tell you, like, what's scary is the fallout from this case because I did already see an article with some hardware store in I don't know where right. that put up a big sign saying "No gays allowed." Right. 
you know, and and that's like that's the problem, right? Is that we're now going to be able to go down that road where people are going to be make all kinds, and it's already happened a million times. Places saying we can't provide contraception for our Which employees. Is exactly why you don't want to have the gay and lesbian parade band necessarily where that where you're trying to score that cheap point because if you know which it's is not exactly, a cheap point or not a cheap point like or you're trying to say like hey i would just be aware that every time you i just i think that whenever we seek to um to win right uh, for, for our side um yeah, there's, I do. There think is an equal. There's usually the, the an equal potential. Reaction. Sure, absolutely. And and, uh, and the other thing that I think when I was talking about it's asymmetrical, and this is kind of my final point, was I realized as I was trying to make this point, mm-hmm. um, as I was trying to write it, that um, it's very difficult to kind of come from the pers- that perspective, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of the people who feel that perspective are coming from from the wrong place, like. I think it would be very from a place of bigotry or yeah, homophobia. It would be very inter- it would be very easy to assume that if I said, well, you know what, maybe we shouldn't have a gay and lesbian band. Um, then I would say, what does it hurt you? It doesn't. Exactly. It doesn't, and, I, and I'm for it. I actually, I like I no, said, no, but I'm saying I'm hypothetically, to somebody hypoth- who is bigoted, I would be like, why does that? Why is that? But a problem? if I did, if I did, for example, if I was on the committee and I was like, you know what, we shouldn't because we're opening up this political conversation around the P raid, and like, I just don't think it's the right choice. Yeah. And I said that. Everyone would be like, oh, who knew Andrew was a homophobe? Right. Right? Right. And I could say, swear up and down, like, no, I don't think that's it. I'm actually thinking... Well, obviously, the guy who wrote the, the letter to your school did not have that fear. Exactly. And I think he was a homophobe. And that's the other part, <laughs> is that he probably was. And I so, just would say, like, you know, that's the same argument with transgender bathrooms. Like, why does it hurt you if somebody is in the stall next to you? that you have an issue with. Like, we're not asking you to marry that person or, you know, I didn't ask you to, I wouldn't ask someone to march in a gay and lesbian marching band, you know? You're just listening to them. What's the fear? Where where does this fear come from? So it's, I just think it's a really interesting place, which is to say, because you can't move forward as a society unless we make these changes. Yeah. You know, but at the same time. I mean, gay and lesbian people aren't going away. Right and no, nor <laughs> nor should they. I, right. Um, and yet, so we can't make these. We can't move forward unless we make these changes. But but on the other hand, I think we just have to be so careful, or we should we should try to be thoughtful about where we pick our battles, and also that we don't ruin the things that we love. Agreed. Because we turn them into battlegrounds. Agreed. It did um, seem somewhat symbolic. I will say for those of you who weren't there that the um, the the right after the marching band from our class went, the entire parade was canceled. I think for the first time in history. Yeah, because of lightning? Due, due to an act of You're God. You're really going to tie those together? Oh, I'm not the first, believe me. Really? Uh, no, I mean, for other reasons. People I, were joking that, you know, this was, our, class, is, was, uh, our class was cursed. Okay. Not because of the marching band. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. That is true that we were the very first time that the, the uh, I'm sure, I wonder whether somebody's actually, uh, made that connection anyway um so that was our reunions episode yeah i hope you found it interesting it it, it always provides food for thought and for we'd me love, we'd love to get your feedback on it and uh we might take a little bit of a hiatus we're heading into the summer season as xanthi goes off to greece as she's prone to do and then uh we will be back so thank you for listening thanks for a great year everybody all right bye